Welcome to the Citizens Youth Podcast. Citizens Youth is a ministry of Northwest Gospel Church in Vancouver, Washington. Citizens is a community of students who are learning to live for Jesus. We meet every Wednesday at 7 p.m. To find out more, visit us online at nwgospel.com forward slash citizens. Family time's always enjoyable. And then there's the time when the uncle decides to run all the conversation for a while, and now you get to listen to him. All right. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Gavin. Excited to be here. I'm the, I was the tall, somewhat frightening-looking dude at camp at times in the back. Um, we're going to talk about the Psalms today. We're going to go into Psalms 3. We're doing the Psalms as a church. It only felt right to continue that series here. We're going to talk a bit about nightmares today. A really super fun topic. Uh, everyone enjoys hearing about people's dreams. That never puts anybody to sleep. So, of course, why not? We'll, we'll get into that. We all have nightmares. Every person in this room, we have nightmares. We have those common recurring dreams of things that make us wake up in the middle of the night. I have a few. I wanted to share them with you today as you have an opportunity to get to know me better because really that's really what this is all about. So uh, we have nightmares that are relatively common, such as you have a presentation that you're, you're planning for. Maybe you're speaking in front of a group of people and you realize you're wearing the wrong outfit or maybe no outfit. For me personally, uh, that typically more has revolved in the past about something being like wrong, maybe like a giant piece of acne on my face or something uh, at, that, at that time. Um, I had a version of that almost come real a few weeks ago, and Anna Martin here may have, have, have saved me from something. So I was uh, doing announcements for the church a couple weeks back and uh, was uh, in prayer with the, with the elders for Andrew uh, beforehand. Uh, Anna uh, walks out of the music room and sees my shirt and asks me why I haven't cleaned my shirt. I have no idea what she's referring to, but I discovered that when I had blown my nose <laughs> earlier that morning, I had left over a giant crusted snot stain right about here right outside of view for me just looking down, now that's my nightmare. Like that, I, I, I have to tell you the number of times I check this spot on my shirt now regularly would, would uh, really surprise you. It is pretty constant. So I have, uh, so thank you. I have another, another common, uh, common one is the nightmare where you are being uh, chased or something's happening and you can't move. You're moving like or really slowly. You're kind of stuck in sand. I get a version of this when I travel on planes and I'm flying. Uh, and some, every once in a while I can actually fall asleep on the plane. I'm not really sure what the link is, but every once in a while it happens. And without fail, I have this dream that the drink cart is coming and I'm really thirsty and I desperately want something and I cannot lift my head to order a drink. And it is, and I get really sad about it. And I'm trying as hard as I can because I'm thirsty and I want a Coke and I can't order it. And then I wake up and there's no cart and I'm a little depressed. I have um, a third 
nightmare at times about still not having homework done. I graduated high school 20 years ago, and I still wake up after having a dream that I was back in high school on the last day of school, having realized I had attended zero classes, had not done anything, and all your homework is due immediately. It is insane. I would love for that one to be over, but it is not over. So I guess look forward to that in the future. Often, our nightmares are based on what makes us really nervous. It's not just that we watched a scary movie and then a clown is chasing us in a car for a few hours. It's that we are driven, insecure about elements of our life, and our subconscious decides that it's time to kind of mess with us. Sometimes, unfortunately, these nightmares turn real. Sometimes we end up living inside a nightmare and we have to ask ourselves, where is God in this? We have to decide where we will turn. Tonight, we're going to look at Psalm 3. We're going to ride along with King David as he is living a literal nightmare. We're going to see how he responds and hopefully maybe we'll get a tiny bit challenged along the way. So let's dive Back into Psalm 3. Are we ready? That's close enough. All right. Psalm 3. Save me, O my God, a psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. This is the word of the Lord. O Lord, how many are my foes. Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God, Selah. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill, Selah. I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord, your blessing be on your people, Selah. Many times in the Psalms, it will tell us an author, but it won't tell us any reason why this particular Psalm was written. So we can definitely, as we look through the Psalms, we definitely see, all right, David wrote this one, another dude wrote this one, mostly a lot of times David, but it doesn't say that David wrote it at any particular time. So that's not necessarily the case in this Psalm. We know at the beginning it states a psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. How many of you know the story of Absalom and David? Doesn't really matter. I was going to go through it anyways. (laughs) David becomes king of Israel, and he has a few sons and daughters. One of them was named Absalom, one of the older sons, and he was apparently quite the dude. I put through, uh, found a list of descriptors for him I wanted to share with you tonight. He was fly, lit, fleek, is it awkward yet? Dope, and Gucci. He, he, He was, to put it clearly, straight fire. It says in 2 Samuel 15, verse 25, Now in all Israel there was no one 
so much to be praised for his handsome appearance as Absalom. From the sole of his foot to the crown of his head, there was no blemish in him. This dude was Justin Bieber meets Joe Jonas meets whatever teenage heartthrob dates me horribly. And he was also ambitious. He kind of had his own version of kind of hot person privilege going on where he was able to get through even murdering his own brother and come out clean on the other side. And with that, he decides one day that he should be king rather than his dad. So he turns the people, many of David's closest friends, many of David's closest advisors against him and sets himself up as king instead. David has to flee his own kingdom because his son had betrayed him and was going to kill him. David saw some of his most trusted friends also betrayed him. He was in a pretty dark place. Not to minimize anything in your life today because I do not know your story, but I doubt many of us have experienced a, little, a literal nightmare quite like David was experiencing. Everything he had worked so hard for was now in ruin. His family, his friends had turned on him, and he was a fugitive again, now running not from Saul, but from his own flesh and blood. This was not just a bad breakup. This was not, I texted my friend, and it's 20 minutes later, and why is my friend not texting me back? It's 20 minutes It's not the fact that my parents set a curfew for me and it is an hour later than the curfew my friends have and why are my parents being so unfair that my curfew is an hour earlier? This is real stress. This is real life. So David decides to write a poem, which definitely wouldn't be my decision, but that's because my poems are trash. Dave, however, much better at this than David, thank you, than I am. And in this poem, this psalm, we are challenged by David's faith. And so we'll ask ourselves a few questions. We're going to ask, do you know God? Do you rest in God and do you trust God? We will see ultimately that God is the best light in the darkest times. Let's jump back to the text here and ask again, do you know God? Verse 1, O Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. Selah. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory, and the lifter of my head. First, let's go back to David's specific situation. David definitely had many foes, many that were rising against him. In our own lives, we definitely have times where we feel that we have many foes. It may not mean that we have an actual list of blood enemies, but we do have people or things that we feel may be set against us in a particular time. In my job, I'm in sales I don't look at another company that sells cameras, have a team meeting, call them my foes and try to rally my team by saying, team, many are my foes, many are those that would rise against us. I would not do that necessarily, mainly because I'd get called into the HR department 
and it would uh, not work out really well for my career. Uh, but we definitely have times where we feel overwhelmed, where we feel the same level of hopelessness, of desperation that David is talking about. And even worse, for David, many were saying there is no salvation for him in God. And, not, and even worse, more beyond that, it was not just the situation is beyond God. It is that they were saying God will choose not to help you because you deserve this. Both are lies. And we need to address them separately. On the one hand, bad things happen. We get into something that, frankly, is no fun. And we can get confused. Because at that time, God feels so other, so separate, so away from what it is we're experiencing at that time. Where is the fun, happy feeling that we get from worship at that point? Do we know God? Here at Citizens, we need to get to know God both with our heart and with our head. We worship, we sing, we connect with one another and to God through heartfelt worship. We lift our hands, we pray, we try to stay mostly on key. It is easy at those times during worship to feel God's presence. For those of you who are at camp, when, we, when the band was starting to play in that room, now we're setting aside the fact that it was almost unbearably hot in there, and we would have given anything for a sweet, sweet breeze to come through for just a moment. When that singing was happening, we could feel God's presence at that time, students. God was there. But if we have only this heart knowledge, this idea of the emotional connection that we feel with God at that, if we associate our knowledge of God only with our emotions, then when darkness falls, when the nightmare is real, we find that we truly don't know God and our faith falters. We need both heart knowledge and head knowledge. That's why we read the Bible together, students. That's why you get the opportunity to hear me drone at you for what may seem like an eternity. Because God, students, is there in those moments. No one should ever be able to tell you that there is no salvation for you in God. Because you know, students, because it is written here in this book that there is always salvation for you in God. There is no situation when you are beyond God's salvation. David wrote this psalm after he did the following. He committed adultery by sleeping with another man's wife after he watched her bathe which is super creepy for a dude that uh, the Bible says was a man after God's own heart. He followed up this particular mistake by, uh, by cover, trying to cover it up by sending the husband into the thickest part of battle, essentially a death sentence. So he followed up adultery with murder, and then after all that decided it was cool to go ahead and marry Bathsheba, the woman in the first place. So he basically broke virtually all of the Ten Commandments in one fell swoop and uh, was feeling pretty good about himself at the end of it. Can you imagine our own tabloids having a field day with David's sins? 
he puts the Kardashians to shame, and I don't think the Kardashians understand the concept of shame. (laughs) And yet, even after all that, David could still repent, and God would be there. David had the head knowledge, the understanding that the situation here in running from Absalom was not outside God's salvation. And yet, did you think David had to have a little doubt based on what was being literally shouted at him that God was punishing him for his past sin? Salvation was literally not possible, not because God couldn't do it, but because God wouldn't do it. A famous teacher, Charles Spurgeon, put it this way. It is the most bitter of all afflictions to be led to fear that there is no help for us in God. We do this at each other at times, don't we? Where we look at others, we know their past mistakes, and we say, God will surely punish them. They deserve it. So again, do we know God? If we know God, we know that he is a God of salvation, a God that delivers, a God who is present in the midst of pain, of loss, in the midst of a nightmare. If we do not know God, we will face foes in our life and we will crumble. We will hear that there is no salvation in God and we will agree. We will stop and walk away. We will get stuck into a spiral of shame and regret, and we will call it a night. Thankfully, David does not stop here. He boldly stakes his claim that he knows God. Verse 3, but you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory, and the lifter of my head. First, David is confident that he is fully protected by God, that he is a shield about David. The original language here denotes not just a shield. We think of shield as kind of like a small shield that will show up at least at some point, maybe here-ish. For those of us who are tall, that means we have to essentially choose which part of our body that we want to to essentially get hit. Either we just kind of go down and hope that our lower half is okay or up uh, up high and and whatever. I have two young kids, and their uh, goal right now is I can tie them together, and they can be a shield when they're tied, tied together, one on top of the other, and they can basically make it work. <laughs> That's not actually true. Um, the, what, the, what the actual word is saying here is, is, God, is David is saying that God is a shield all around him. He is a shield all through his front, behind him, essentially a cocoon above, below. David claims God as his ultimate shield. And he doesn't just ask God to be a shield, students. David confidently claims the truth that God is his shield. This is head knowledge driving the heart. David's confidence in God's provision is humbling here. Then he claims God as his only glory. How cool to see David in the midst of losing his kingdom, stating with confidence that he understands that God is his only glory. At this point, David was a fugitive, a man without a home, a man without a kingdom, a man with few friends, and yet David understood that he still had glory, glory through God. We find glory in so many earthly items. 
in athletics, our appearance, how smart we are, how quickly we can snap witty retorts, how quickly we can go bald. Last one might just be for me. And yet, our glory ultimately is in the Lord when we know God. Finally, David states that God is the lifter of my head. David confidently claims that he has ultimate deliverance in God, even, again, in the midst of a literal nightmare. We'll get back to this again, but can we just stop for a second and marvel at that? This is a man who knows God, who knew that God was still his light, even in the darkest times. David continues, and he, somewhat counter to our instincts, asks us another question. Do you rest in God? Back to the text, verse 4. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill, Selah. I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. Let's stop here again because David goes to an odd spot in, our, in the midst of his understanding of God. Let's go back to our earlier conversation about, about nightmares, not so that you take this home and have a really tough time getting to sleep tonight, but is the typical response to a nightmare to go to sleep? I mean, typically when I have a nightmare and I wake up, like sleep is something I, I definitely desire at that point, but it's not necessarily the fastest thing I'm able to get to. I kind of have to move the old heart rate down a little bit to get back to sleep. It's the last thing on my mind is great rest. In our popular culture, a lot of our films and uh, TV shows are basically about groups of people or heroes that are fighting through impossible odds to achieve their outcome. And they have to basically push through everything in order to get there. And I would not say that there is a lot of rest involved in their process. And another way to date myself, one of my favorite shows from a long time ago was the show 24. All right, I'll take a couple, a couple claps, that's all right. For those of you too young to understand quality television, the show followed a man named Jack Bauer, who's a counterterrorism official in downtown Los Angeles who had 24 hours each time of consecutive time to save the U.S. from destruction. Very realistic, very believable. There were a few things about that show that always struck me. First, Bauer and his team were somehow able to navigate L.A. traffic at all times of the day or night, which is a feat unheard of, just the amount of luck. God sustained them (laughs) in their process, Uh, which is good because otherwise it would have been 24, 8 hours of action and 16 hours of traffic, but they, they got through it. The second is that nobody on that show slept. Everybody was up for 24 hours. Plot points, major plot points are happening at 4 in the morning. I personally will not be part of any plot point at 4 a.m. unless that plot point is Gavin slept. (laughs) 24, though, is definitely part of our culture of an idea that when we're faced with a struggle, something that we just need to push through, We have to fight harder. We have to man up. We can be told that the problem is us. And if we just work harder, push through better, we'll get to the other side. 
Yet at times, what God needs us to do is rest, is sleep. David gives us two elements to our rest. First, we pray. Such a simple element and yet one we forget far too often. We cry out to the Lord in the midst of our nightmare. We ask him for support. And if we are like David, we have confidence, pure confidence that God will answer. The idea of holy hill that we see in the verse is synonymous with heaven. David is stating, God, I prayed, and you heard me in heaven, and you answered me. But students, doesn't that seem a little bit odd? This statement a little bit intriguing. David, remember, is in a situation where he is a fugitive on the run. His kingdom is gone. His family is against him. His friends are against him. And he is saying here in the verse, I cried aloud to the Lord and he answered me. What did he pray? Like if it was me, I would pray, could I not be a fugitive? Maybe... Could I have my son back? Maybe could I have my kingdom back, my role back, the situation that I believe I was anointed by God for? But apparently David didn't pray that. What did David pray for? Let's look at the second element. I laid down and slept. I woke again for the Lord sustained me. David prayed for rest. The dude is a fugitive on the run, Harrison Ford, and he asks for sleep. How crazy is this? I can barely sleep when I have an argument with my wife, not to mention anything David is going through. Do you rest in God? David is challenging us today. I know he's challenging me. I'm told the following today. Be the best husband possible. And here are multiple websites and articles and books that will tell you exactly the way to do that. Be the best father possible. And here are multiple websites, articles, and books that will not only tell you that, but will also tell you the type of counseling that your children will require if you don't follow these five simple principles. Be the best worker possible. And by the way, here is the next promotion you should shoot for. Here's the next amount of money you should shoot for. Here's the amount of work that's required for you to do each day in order to be the best possible at your job. Be the best Christian possible. Have you read, or have you read the latest Tim Keller book? Have you been up on your reading? Have you read through the Bible in a year? Have you read through the Bible in 90 days? Do you pray enough? Are you involved enough? And then recently for me in the last year, as I've uh, gotten a different role here at the church, be the best elder possible. Are you involved in enough ministry? Are you meeting with enough people? Are you involved in enough people's lives? What are you doing? What's next? This is true for each of us in this room. For you, it can be being the best at school, at home, to your parents, learning that whole adulting thing, your faith. There is always something more on the list. And more than that, it always feels that there is someone judging you for not doing enough on any particular item on that list. Do you rest in God? David chooses in this moment to pray for rest. 
He chooses in his nightmare to ask for rest. He lays down, sleeps, and wakes again, thankful for how the Lord has sustained him. To go back to our first question, David knows God. He knows that he is a God that will sustain, a God that will provide. David claims with confidence God's sustaining power, and he sleeps. Do you rest in God? I ask this question a few times because I don't feel we ask it enough in our culture. As I mentioned before, we want to simply push through, choose to fight through our own perceived weakness, increase our own workload, and then act surprised when burned out, we just give up. But what does this say about ourselves? If we simply push through constantly, if we simply try to drive based on our own power, it means, frankly, that we may not know God the way that we should. It means we are believing a lie about the world that the spirit of our age wants us to believe. It means we are ignoring one of the Ten Commandments. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. God has instituted rest as an integral part of our lives through the commandments. You may not take a literal seventh day, but do you take any day off? Do you take five days of school when we head back to school? And thank God I'm not headed back to school. When you head back to school, five days of school and then two days jam-packed of additional other activities? Do you have five days of school followed by five days of additional activities after school, followed by two days of activities on the weekend itself? Do you rest? What's more praiseworthy? The 60-hour work week that accomplishes a lot, but you never see your family, or the 40-hour work week that, that includes at least one day of complete rest, of refreshment, of renewal. Friends, we need to rest that's not to say we don't work hard. There are plenty of verses that talk about the work ethic we're required to have as Christians, about being hard workers. But the difference is our culture does not tell us when to stop. Our culture will tell us to continue to push through. There is no governor on where it will tell us to go. If it was up to us, we would work every moment of every day outside of whatever the latest cultural television moment was, and then we would go back to working. And at this point, we even work really hard on whatever cultural television moment it was. When I was growing up, it's one hour a week to see whatever lost is going on. For you, season three of Stranger Things come out, and not, it's automatically binged like 12 hours of the stuff right away within the first 24-hour period, or you're not a good fan. We can't even rest well in how we handle popular culture at this point. It has to be immediate and huge and over the top. We can't even rest when we rest. I, I'm older. I get it. I, I get it. I understand. When I started my career... I was really impacted by the men who worked around me. I, I started in a, um, a, a white-collar job in engineering up in, up in Seattle. There were a lot of men who were, worked at that firm. They had an hour commute because it was in Seattle, so basically it was like 45 minutes to an hour regardless. They had an hour commute. They would show up at 8 a.m. 
they would work furiously until 6, 7 p.m. at night, and then they would have another hour in their commute going home. You can do the math on that. They saw their family essentially zero during the course of the week. I remember vividly a phone call that I unfortunately had the privilege of listening, listening in on uh, with my boss having a conversation with his daycare about not being able, again, to be able to pick up his son on time. And the daycare, in response, communicating the behavioral issues that his son was continuing to have at daycare and that back and forth. This dude has been very successful in his career. I think he's a VP now. But at what cost? Did he rest? Our need for rest may not be that extreme, but it is still something that we must wrestle with, we must desire. To be real, it is possible that God wants you to have a worthless hobby. I know I'm entering dangerous ground here. But it is possible that God may want you to have something completely meaningless in your life. For me, I enjoy fantasy football because it involves numbers and I am a nerd. There is very little worthwhile about fantasy football. I get it. I turn my brain off and I can focus on something for a bit. Yeah, you can nudge each other, that's fine. Uh, I love reading. And not, not just like uh, books about my faith, like books with wizards and magic and crap. <laughs> okay? Again, nerd. There's a, there's a common thread through a lot of this. I get it. And yet, again, I can turn my brain off. I can think about nothing other than what, of whatever random plot point is in front of me. And it's great. I'm picking up golf again. That's not been super restful yet, but uh, we'll see where that goes in the future. In the past, when I was growing up, my friends and I would play laser tag at night in orchards. So uh, it would be uh, pitch black uh, because it was out in the wilderness uh, with orchards, strap on the gear, play laser tag for hours. And the biggest threat was trying to avoid the random sprinkler heads that were in the ground that you just couldn't see and you just kind of hoped you got lucky that night. If anyone has an orchard and wants to play laser tag, I'm still up for it in the future, but it's uh, really fun. We need, even in the worst seasons, to have the desire for rest, to know God, that he provides rest. The goal of a hobby is to rest. Students, Find rest, make rest a priority in the midst of your busy lives, in the midst of your crowded schedule. There will be seasons where rest is hard to find. As you hit college, finals week exists. There is zero rest during finals week. It just is the nature of the beast. But that season cannot be permanent. We are at that point disregarding a priority God wants us to make for our lives. We need to understand God, know that he provides rest. Go down to sleep. Wake up, sustained by the Lord. We are sustained because we trust God, which is our last question. Do you trust God? Do you trust God? Our last verse is in Psalm 3. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. 
Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. Selah. David's trust here grows into three separate ideas. First, he trusts that God protects. In David's case, there were literal thousands of people who were set up against him. But since David knew that God was his literal all-around shield, he was not afraid. That is a bit challenging. I'm afraid of shaking hands with strangers. I'm afraid of heights, which is a bit weird because I'm tall. I'm afraid of the internet going out. Lots of dumb stuff. David is not afraid of the horde surrounding him. And that's not because David has superpowers. There's no portal that's going to open up and the Avengers pour through. It's because David trusts Yes, spoilers. <laughs> David trusts that God protects. Next, David trusts that God is victorious. David's call in verse 7 is essentially that of a military commander. For troops to arise, go forth and conquer the enemy. David was not just looking to God for a tentative truce with Absalom. David was confident that the teeth of the wicked would be broken. Have you tried that at school with the kid who makes fun of you? Hey, God will break the teeth of the wicked. Don't do that. Please don't do that at school. Here's what David knows, that God is the ultimate victor against darkness. He asks God for victory in this situation. But here, note this, students. This is one time where David in the psalm does not ask with confidence that the outcome is already assured. David does not know how the situation with Absalom will end. And yet, he still knows that God is his shield, his glory, and the lifter of his head. In the same way, we, students, we do not know how our nightmares will turn out, but we can always confidently ask God for help because we trust God. We trust God because of David's last idea here, that God saves. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Obviously, we cannot help but think here also of Christ. Our salvation from sin, from darkness, from not only our nightmares here on earth, but our eternal nightmare that our sin has earned. That salvation belongs to the Lord only through the finished work of Jesus Christ. We know God, and we know that God came to this world to save us from our sin. We rest in God Because we know that God came to this world to save us from our sin. We trust God because he is worthy. Because his faithfulness to us is complete. We know that God is the light in the darkest times. Psalm 3 doesn't tell us that dark times will never come to a Christian. But it forces us to make a choice when those dark times come. Let me end with telling you a little bit of my story. When I was in college, my freshman year, I met a girl. 
That I can happen. Her name was Emily. <laughs> I, I got to know her through my course of my freshman year. Soft, between sophomore and junior year, I got friend zoned hard. Okay, I appreciate the, the pity size. I, I asked her out between mid of sophomore year and beginning of senior year three times. So I, I did that part right, but I got rejected three times. And then, let's just say long story short, things changed. God got involved in some way, and midway through our senior year, I asked her out again, and for some weird reason, surprised me too, she said yes. A year later, we got married. Yay! Uh, seven, seven and a half months later, on December 8th, 2004, I said good morning to my wife, gave her a kiss, left for work. I was in a meeting at work, and I see I missed a couple phone calls from her office. I see the secretary for where I work come down, pull my boss out of the room. My boss comes back in, clears the room, and just uh, him and I said, Gavin, your wife was uh, running to catch the bus and was uh, struck by an SUV and died instantly. I was faced with a choice. David was faced with a choice in that moment when the nightmare becomes real. And I can remember, students, I can vividly remember in that moment when everything had crashed down, the plans that we had for the future were shattered. Family, vacation, all of that, done. And I can remember thinking, I cannot lose my faith over this. Students, I cannot tell you that the nightmares won't come. What I can say is that God is faithful in those nightmares. God is a light in dark times. I am never going to tell you that I am thankful that that happened. But I can tell you that I am thankful for what God did through that. I am thankful for the story that uh, he allowed me to experience outside of that. Because through it, I have come to know God, to be able to rest in God, to be able to trust God better. And I'm who I am today in front of you because of that nightmare, because of what God did through that. So students, let's learn from David. The nightmares will come. You will definitely face Nightmares in your future. And yet, God will always be there. Let's work hard to learn more about who God is, to be able to rest in him, to be able to trust him.
Let's pray. The band can uh, come up while we pray. Lord God, thank you for being worthy. Thank you that regardless of our best laid plans, that your plan is always sovereign. And we can always be secure in you. Thank you that you do not ask us to work hard, Lord, harder than than is possible, Lord, that we can rest in you. Thank you for your salvation that is so freely given that there's only one requirement, Lord. That requirement of just getting to know you better, of trusting in the nature of the power of your son. Lord, give us the desire to pair our head and our heart together to be able to understand you better, to desire a firm foundation to be with you, Lord, to know you. Father, bless this time, bless uh, the rest of our worship uh, with you tonight. Help us to be able to know you better, to rest in you, and to trust you. In Jesus' name, amen.